on the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Catholic. This is Marianela Nunez, and with me today, guess who is here? <laughs> Jen! <laughs> hey, Jen! Hey, hey Ah, you thought you, I was going to say Mike, right, people? I know, it was a big uh, big reveal right oh, there. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Marianela is correct. This is Jen Morrow, Marianela uh, Nunez, and we are hosting, I think, only the second podcast uh, ever without Mr. Mike Walsh. Yeah. Are you people excited or are you sad? <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe you can send us some messages on social media and we'll find out. That is a great idea. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So how are you? I am really well. I just, you know, came back from Boston and I'm, I'm smart. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm smart. They said, you know, if you go to Boston, you come back with three credits just by going. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, people are smart there. So you, just by going there, you get three credits. So, you know, I came back with that. Wow. I'm jealous. I think I'm going to have to go now. <laughs> I'm going to have to up my game. You've just uh, yeah. up the game here in the, in the chancery. So what were you doing in Boston? I was at a National uh, Enrollment and uh, Advancement Management Conference. Uh, with Partners in Mission, mm-hmm. and uh, it was such an amazing experience. I was with, like, really top-notch people in the field and kind of, like, learning. Um, you know, I just love to see what the best practices are and, uh, you know, what's new in the enrollment management world. And uh, this was my first conference uh, with enrollment management folks only, and uh, I was really uh, excited. So people from all around the nation? Yes, we had about 400 people attended this conference, and they had like they divided up between the advancement and the enrollment track. So I did the enrollment track because that's my main responsibility in the Diocese of Camden, um, but kind of like met people in both sides. So okay. it was incredible. And I was able to cruise as part of this conference. Like we did the Spirit of Boston. Can you believe that? What? Yes, and a Red Sox game. Now, come on. I went to the stadium, yeah. Okay, how was it? It was great. I danced on Dominican music because every time a Dominican player would come up, they would have uh, merengue. Oh, So I was like, look at that. I know that music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. And uh, I also got to kind of like go around and uh, check out the city and, um, you know, went to the Black Rose uh, pub, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is a very popular one in Boston. And uh, it was lovely. So you would go back if you had the opportunity? I will. I think I need to do this. I think it's swamp. Uh, you go. You can. You can go on a lake and uh, kind of like. Uh, oh, duck boats. Yes. Yeah, where like it's a, a boat that goes in the water, but then it can come back on land. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 so yeah. that I want to do with the kids. It's yeah. kind of like fun. Uh, and I uh, didn't drive. I flew there, so that was kind of like. Um, it was better because I didn't want to drive for almost six hours. I didn't know how the traffic in New York was going to be. And uh, I was like, I would just do the 15 minute to the airport uh, trip and then come back and do the airport thing. I just I just keep reading all these stories about, you know, how the flying right now is a little wild and you might get on or might not. So any uh, flying tips for our listeners right now? Just make sure you pick a good uh, airline, at least you yeah, know, yeah. the very minimum, because the last times I've traveled, I've you know i've had really bad experiences so this this time everything went smooth and uh you know i got in there was a delay uh for like an hour but then you know 
that went well. So I was I was good. Good. And Boston was great, and I met a lot of good people, people of faith, people who are trying to make sure that Catholic education continues. In the U.S. and above, we had somebody who came from Alaska, actually, to this conference. So they're now thinking, maybe we should do this internationally. Uh, and they have some traction. So who knows? Great, great. Well, sounds like a lot of fun. Um so what else is uh, going on for the for the summer? We have July Fourth weekend coming up. Yeah, and are Got you excited? I, I am excited. I have I have the week off July Fourth. I have family coming in from California and Texas, and my siblings are already here in Jersey, and we're having a big sibling sibling reunion with my parents down in Atlantic wow. City, uh, where they live. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a while since I've seen some of my siblings from the West Coast. So. Should be good. That is amazing. Uh, I'm going to uh, take a family photo. So I don't know if anybody's taken a family photo, which I have not in, I don't know, 25 years. So we're trying to color coordinate uh, my... my, White is the color. It's white and blue from what I hear. So uh, my my niece, who's 14, is, I think she might be boycotting this whole process. But um, (laughs) she just said, why can't we wear what we want? And I was like, because you would wear just t-shirts and sweatpants. So no, yeah. but um, it Make should it be pretty. Fun. Yeah, I know. I was like, I never thought I'd be one of those people that were like, I'll take. I don't know. Now you'll have to show me that picture. I know. Afterwards, like, I'll, I'll be curious. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> we'll see how this really works out. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But what about you? What are you doing? I'm going camping to the what? Hershey Park. <gasps> I love Hershey. Yeah. So I'm leaving on Friday, and then um, you know we're coming back on Monday. Wow. So I went to Hershey for the first time during COVID. Uh huh. Because uh, we wanted to just get out of Dodge, right? We had a blast. Oh. It was it was safe. It, they were limiting the number of people at the time, and I'd never been to Hershey, and it was just so family friendly. That's great. Did you go to the camping site? No, we stayed in a hotel. Okay. It was like December. I, I'm gonna do the camping thing. So people, wish me luck. Pray <laughs> for me, because you know I I I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Um, Wait, have you been camping before? Once, and it didn't go really well. So I'm hoping this time it'll be it'll okay. be better. <laughs> I will keep my fingers crossed for no rain. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There was rain. Yeah. The one I, the I'm one sure there I was. was. And there was some leaking in my tent. <laughs> oh, a classic camping experience, actually. Yes. yes. You cannot, you, I don't think you can call it camping unless it rains and yeah. your tent leaks. Yeah, so. I, I, I might do some glomping. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I like it. Like All it. right. All so, right. So uh, maybe we should introduce our guest and who do we have on the show today? So um, we have uh, Dr. Lido Monica, who is the Director of Religious Education for uh, the Diocese of Camden. Welcome, Lee. Thank you. It's an honor to be with you. We are so happy that you are here and uh, we can't wait to, you know, have people really get to know you in our podcast. Oh, well, it's, it feels like I, I, it, everyone's saying how new I am and I've been here um, a little over three months now, but it feels like 33 months, 33 years sometimes, <laughs> just because I, it, it's been so immersive and just so wonderful and uh, when you know you're in the right place um, it's always it feels good that's amazing that's yep. amazing it's kind of like uh, uh, last week we went to the Eucharistic mm-hmm. uh, revival and uh, you were there with your family and I your was. mom and uh, yep. uh, it was so great to see you and uh, you know with the people of the Diocese of Camden and know that you have a lot to do with uh, the education that's going on in terms of religious ed mm-hmm. for the diocese and uh, you're really part of the Eucharistic revival how's that going for you? Well last weekend in Atlantic City was an absolute privilege to be a part of um, it, 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 
you know, we were, I'm part of the uh, core committee helping to, pre- to prepare for all this. And we weren't ex- expecting two to 300, maybe 400 people. And the fact that over a thousand people came and it, it just the, the beauty and the energy and um, the receptiveness of the folks that were on the boardwalk. There was no issues. Um, yeah, it was crowded. And um, I think the uh, folks pushing the, uh, the, the jitneys and the, um, the rickshaws might have been a little annoyed with the group of folks uh, from now and then. But besides that, honestly, folks were, what, what is this about? Who is this for? Mm-hmm. What is this? And it was just wonderful to engage people and to see yeah. people of all walks of life participate in it. Um, I, I was so blessed. My parents were with me and my husband, David, my brother, John, and his wife, Laura. And uh, the six of us were able to to participate in it. And the at the very end, the final the final scene was the one that was most impactful to me, the final altar, because in the craziness of Atlantic City and you're coming down and now it had gotten dark and all the lights are blinking. Yeah. And, um, but when we got to that last altar, this beautiful side, the sisters who were singing, it was two sisters. Yeah, the Franciscan sisters. It was, it was in the yeah. simplicity of the music. I think it just brought the silence that we needed there. They sang and then there was this just beautiful peacefulness. And here we are in the middle of the Atlantic City Boardwalk on a Saturday in June, and Jesus was there. Mm-hmm. It was it was absolute privilege to be a part of. It was emotional one for me for sure, um, but it was beautiful, and I'm just thrilled to to be a part of it. Really, that was incredible. And you know, I think that was one of the uh, when Father Robert Hughes, our uh, uh, vicar general, general mm-hmm. was on. You know, he had talked about you know some of the hope to hold it in Atlantic City was to say that even in the busyness of this city, there can be a moment of of peace and quiet with our Lord. And, and like you said, Lee, I think a lot of, I think a lot that came through loud and clear, you know, it's so many people along the sides. Uh, Mike and I talked about this the other day too, like so many people that just stopped to either genuflect or ask questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a real witness to faith. That's for sure. It yeah. was. And that just by stopping and asking questions, you, you know, those folks are thinking about it. Right. Yeah. And they went home and said, you won't believe what I saw on the boardwalk tonight. Yeah. And those conversations happen. And that's you a revival. Never know. That's a revival. You never know what that's going to inspire. Mm-hmm. Those are seeds that are being planted. And we have to take advantage of each and every moment. Yeah. And I feel like especially in your role, that mm-hmm. would touch you even in, you know, mm-hmm. even more so than than this hardened journalist anyway. <laughs> so, like, You're oh, so hard. Yes, yeah. I am so hard. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, did you feel like that? Like, Absolutely. And that not only it, the role that I have here with the diocese, but my background and my love for um, research and education, a lot of it is based on experiential learning, experience. What, what from our life experience can we translate into knowledge? And in this case, into f- developing our faith. So the fact that that experience happened, I know my faith, I I went in not knowing what was going to happen to me and came out of it. I know I was moved. I know my faith grew. It got a little bit deeper, more intentional about what the Eucharist means Mm -hmm. and the impact that it has. And um, anytime we can provide the faithful with experiences that they can just reflect on and think about, and how am I going to apply this to my life in another way, in a new and different way, that is growing the faith. And that's a privilege to be a part of. You know, and one of the things that I really uh, thought it was uh, amazing about the the procession was the fact that it was uh, so more multicultural mm. as well. Like mm-hmm. just you know those uh, ladies that did the dance were amazing. I think they mm-hmm. were uh, from the Philippines. Yes, yes. Uh, and you know they had like a Spanish choir yep. sing, and uh, you know they just made it so beautiful that the 
the way they put the altars, like they just, you know, took their time to decorate it in such a beautiful way mm-hmm. in the middle of the craziness mm-hmm. in the, the, of the Atlantic City. So I thought that that really kind of like touched uh, me uh, as I saw the development of it. Well, Marinelle, you, you bring up a good point about the universality of the church. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, the word Catholic means universal. And that was, that experience was exactly the Um, I guess it it encapsulates what Catholicity is, Mm -hmm. that the fact that no matter your culture, no matter your economic background, no matter where you came from, no matter the depth of your faith knowledge, everybody belonged there. And and in every aspect of the church, that is true, whether we believe it or not. That is the actual truth of the church, Mm -hmm. that the universality of it allows us, no matter where you come from, no matter what no matter what your experiences bring, no matter what brokenness you're coming to this that moment in time with, you belong. You belong. Yeah. That's amazing. And now that you are talking about belongingness, like <laughs> tell us about your experience kind of like onboarding in the Diocese of Candem in this new role that is huge for people who don't know. Basically, Lee is in charge of like educating all the children of the Diocese of Candem in the faith and like not doing it herself, but <laughs> leading people uh, to do the right thing with our kids in terms of educating them in the faith. How has that kind of like uh, impacted your life? What? How do you feel? Oh, my God. Again, just over... Um I don't want to say overwhelmed because I'm. I feel like I'm. I'm okay. I'm not. I haven't lost control of anything yet. Um, no. What, what it. I, what it is is it, it, it's a true appreciation for the foundation that was laid before I got here. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at this role, the role that I have, as a leg of a of a relay race. Mm-hmm. And the baton's been handed to me. So yeah. there's been very capable and amazing people that ran that race before. It was my turn, but now it's my turn. So the baton's handed to me. And the race doesn't end until we all get to heaven. This is a race that does not end. How beautiful. And that that is what faith formation is. And and I think religious education um, can be a... Um, can be misleading that term because it gives the feel that well and edu- when you go to school you, when you finish eighth grade you graduate when you finish 12th grade you graduate when you finish college you graduate so there's this feeling of when you finish preparing for a sacrament you fit you graduate no that's it, faith the faith journey is completely different from the educational journey and that it is ongoing if i can if the one message i want to make sure that is crystal clear is that formation never ends formation is ongoing yes we were prepared for the sacraments and when you know you're seven years old six years old you learn about reconciliation in the eucharist and when you're 13 14 years old you learn about confirmation and so forth and 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 as we go through life the sacraments however they encounter with you but when you're finished or when you receive that sacrament you're not really finished with it and that's really the the um i guess the clarity that has come to me in this role is that the importance of folks understanding that yes that process of preparing for the sacrament might be complete but every time we go to mass and receive the eucharist we have an opportunity to learn and be formed in a new and different way every time um, we give witness, um, you know, we're encouraged to go to, con- to um, confession multiple times, right? Not just once, not just, be- but to do it a few times, do it at least once a year, if not more often than that. It's always a chance to re-energize, to relook, to see what it is that I could be learning differently, to, to see what, 
what role does Jesus have in my life at this moment? What Jesus was to me when I was six years old and seven years old at the Eucharist is very different from when I received the Lord now in the Eucharist. It's the same Eucharist, right? It's the same sacrament, but it's very different. And how do I apply it to my life as I'm living it now? And that's the key, I think, in terms of religious education. I prefer I prefer the term formation much more mm-hmm. because it is. It's an ongoing process. And not just for the children and families of our diocese, but for the folks that are doing it, the catechists, the teachers in our schools, they have an amazing responsibility and a, and a beautiful role in our world because they are planting seeds. They're planting seeds of this faith formation that one day someone's going to reap and, you know, pick the fruit of these seeds. And it's not going to be the teachers or the catechists, yeah. but it's going to be someone and they planted the seeds. And that's a tremendous responsibility. So anything that I can do to equip them, to give them resources, um, to inspire in them, um, creativity that they can then take in their ministry and use would be, in, that. that's my goal. That's my goal. It's definitely not to hand out step-by-step instructions on sure. how to do things because we want the teachers and the catechists to be authentic to who they are. And they can't be authentic to who they are if I'm busy giving them step-by-step instructions on how to do things. Well, I think you've brought up a good point in the fact that, you know, it's an ongoing formation. I mean, really one of the main what impetus for this, for the Eucharistic revival is, you know, that came out of a Pew study from mm-hmm. a few years ago that's saying 70% of, of Catholics don't believe in the real presence of the Eucharist. So you, what you're talking about is is exa- exactly an example of that. It, formation continues. And though we might think we understand something, uh, either we don't or we fall away from it or that's I think that's one of the reasons why this formation is like it's I said so lifelong important. It, and I think I think that Pew study with that revealed is that I I honestly think the majority of Catholics who answered that question it's not that they don't believe in Jesus Christ's presence they don't understand that right. Jesus is the real presence in the Eucharist it's not a symbol the Eucharist is not a symbol for Jesus it is Jesus and I think um, just through life and formation, and and maybe there's just a it, it's a it's just a misunderstanding mm-hmm. or not a complete knowledge. It's a partial knowledge, and um, if we can do things, provide activities and resources and and education and formation that can help people reengage and and just broaden their knowledge, then they'll recognize that oh wait a minute that is Jesus. It's not representing Jesus. It is Jesus. Right. And that's that we've got our work cut out for us. And I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned about this is an ongoing, like it's, mm. it's, it's for life. Mm-hmm. If you think about it in a way of relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. like you never want your relationship with Jesus to end. Mm-mm. And as part of your relationship with Jesus, you have to kind of like learn about him. Mm-hmm. And the more you learn, the closer you are to him. So that relationship um, is huge as we think about formation and not just kind of like something that we do for the sake of receiving the sacrament, but for the sake of being closer to him. Exactly. Relationship. I mean, th- 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 we're, we're all married in here. And we, we know what it means to be in a relationship with us, with our spouse, right? We fell in love with our spouse. We're married to our spouse. He's not the same person that we married whatever many years ago, right? right. That love relationships are an ongoing it, they need work. They mm-hmm. need under what I know about my husband today is very different from what I knew about my husband when I married him 25 years ago and a few years before that when I met him. So that it, it, that's what this is. And Mary Nell, you 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 really are emphasizing a very important point about the relationship piece with our faith, because it is all relationships are constantly growing 
changing. Right. We're learning about each other in new and different ways as we grow and our life experiences affect us. We're different. It changes us. It exactly. impacts us. So at the core, of course, you know, you hope at the core you're still who you are, but you, you're evolving. You're constantly changing and evolving. And we have to recognize that our faith is the same way. Yeah. And if that's the case, then we need to feed that. Right. We need to immerse ourselves, whether it's reading, whether it's movies, whether it's you know going to mass, homilies, also podcasts, um, this reading the Star Herald, all these wonderful opportunities that are out there to get to learn our faith and, develop, and discover things about our faith that we thought we already knew. I'm like, wait a minute, there's so much more there to learn. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying, you know, we're all married and our spouses are mm-hmm. growing, but so are we, you know, who I was, I've talked about on the podcast before that, you know, I came to the Catholic faith as an adult, what I wanted to know in 2005 when I was coming into the church mm-hmm. and what I want to know in 2022 mm-hmm. are completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm learning the basics mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Now I'm asking deeper questions. And I think as an adult, you know, I think I, I often, you know, we think religious education, we think children, mm-hmm. but how important is that for us as adults to have an outlet to continue to learn? You know, that was, it, it, Jen, you touched on something which made this position attractive to me mm-hmm. in that when Father Hughes um, brought this position to my attention and said, hey, I think you, you should look at this. What he emphasized to me was that the bishop and he, their strong emphasis on family faith formation, not just the child's faith formation, mm-hmm. but the family faith formation. Mm-hmm. And I loved the bishop's vision is it, it, it's innovative, yet it's it's old fashioned in that it's it's what the faith began as. And through life and circumstances and the culture, how the culture evolved, we got more into the, um, I guess, a scholastic model, a classroom model. And now the culture and our world today really demands that we take it more as a family model and a family approach. So how can we leverage the strengths of what we're already doing and the amazing gifts and talents of the catechists and teachers that are already in place to... um, to refocus or, or broaden that perspective and their their energies into a manner that engages the whole family, not just the child. Um, and there, that's what's going to give sustainability to the church. Right. And I don't know if I talked about this with Father Hughes when he was on, but you know, we're not criticizing in any way Mm-mm. the catechists Mm-mm. that are already out there. No. It's not like they've oh fallen gosh, down on no. the job no. at all. No, you know, it's it's just uh, the world's it, falling down exactly. around them. Once <laughs> exactly, yep. it's uh, it's personal re- uh, responsibility. Yep. as well. Yep. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that and that that is the on the past couple of weeks I started meeting with catechists one on one, and the the the. Uh, when you you know one of the questions I ask is what drew you to this ministry and what keeps you in this ministry and the way they all talk about families and children and seeing the energy and the joy in in families when they come to receive a sacrament I mean that it it's beautiful and and that you you can't you can't fake that yeah. <laughs> when they when they share those stories it's such a privilege to hear them speak of that journey with the families that they take so they want to work with family that's what they I did a survey when I first came here and one of the top responses about what they want support with is how to engage families better so our catechists and teachers they recognize they see it they want to do it 
And which is what, let's maximize that then. Let's leverage it. And that in the long run, I mean, it's good for the church. It's good for the sustainability of the church. So you ask them the question mm-hmm. about that, uh, how they're drawn into this ministry. Mm-hmm. I would ask you the question of how uh, you're, you've been called to this ministry. You know, uh, it, when I look back on my career, um, out of, with one exception, a couple year exception, all of my positions, professional positions, have been with organizations that have been sponsored by Catholic, whether it's by um, Sisters in Order, whether it's a diocesan, um, it's all been in, in Catholic organizations. And at first, coming out of college, you know, I, I was in communications and marketing. So that's right. my first job was with St. Francis Hospital in Wilmington, Delaware. Well, I had interviews at different places, but what was it about? You know, as a 23-year-old, I didn't know what it just felt. It felt comfortable and it felt at home. Well, over the decades since then, um, it's absolutely where I'm supposed to be. And I truly, truly believe in um, the responsibilities that we all have as recognizing gifts in other people. Because all along my career path, someone has said to me, I think you're going to be good at this. Look at this. Your gifts lend yourself to something like this. Vocational calling, essentially, is what that is. And Father Hughes was that for me and for this position. And uh, he brought this position to my attention. He said, Lee, we've known each other for a number of years. I'd done some committee work with the Diocese of Camden, got to know him really well that way. And um, when this position became available, um, we were in communication about something completely different. I didn't even know this position was available. And we, we were emailing back and forth. And we finished talking about that. And he says, Lee, by the way, I want you to be aware of this. And he tells me about this position. And at first, I'm just like, religious education? I, I, I've never been a catechist. I haven't taught religious prep courses. Father, does he know who he's talking to? You're like, is this really what? <laughs> and then, then uh, you know, he sent me the position re- um, description. And I happened to run into him. And I was at a meeting. I'm a member of Church of the Incarnation in Mantua. And I was at a meeting there. And he happened to be there, which I didn't know he was going to be there. And there's the Holy Spirit at work again. Absolutely. And after the meeting, we started to chat. And um, I said, Father, I haven't let, let go of this. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, why do you think? I fit. Why do you think this is for me? And he, as he described the position and what the dreams of he and the bishop are, you know, about the family piece, um, about engaging life, ex, you know, bringing through life experiences, and how can we how can we maximize what's already in place to the current culture and needs of the world, and all these. He says, Lee, you know, the work you did um, with with athletes and the lay ministry program you ran there, and working with coaches and lay, you know, the the formation of the chaplains that we had team chaplains. He said it all fits, and he 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 outlined it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, is this is this where I'm supposed to go? And to be open to that, and I truly recognize the value and the importance. I think we all have a responsibility that. If you recognize a gift in someone, tell them. If you recognize something in someone, tell them. Tell them. Say, you know, you would be so good at, and whatever that is. Give them that. That, that is a gift. The Lord's talking to us that way. That's the oh, Holy wow. Spirit at work saying, you. sometimes, you know, we're our own worst critics, right? We don't want to. Absolutely. For real, and, yes. And <laughs> the second person we don't believe, but the first when we don't believe ourselves, we don't believe the people closest to us. Right, our spouses, our parents, those people. Now they're just saying that because they love me, right? But it's the people in that circle that you know and respect. Those that, those friendships, those nice relationships, but they don't have anything to 
gain by right. telling you something like that. That's why I think it's so important. It's not just in false encouragement, but when you see a gift in someone, tell them, you have a gift here. It's funny you need you say to show that. them that way. When I was in college, I was, you know, a communications major. Actually, I think I was an English major, to be honest. I switched at <laughs> some point uh, because I just like to read and mm-hmm. that's all I want to do. I didn't like to talk, which is a shock, I know, for those who know me now. <laughs> on the podcast, I know. we interviewing Mark Wolver and Dr. Legal Monica here. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I'm in the same breath as Mark Wolver, please. <laughs> and I remember it was my senior year and uh, I was working at the college paper as an editor, not, not as a writer. And my professor wrote on my paper... Um, you know, I, I know you want to be an editor, but you are a writer. Don't bury that. Mm. And I kept that. I still have that piece of paper. Uh, it was, I think, my last, whatever, my last article I probably ever turned in. And I kept that because I thought, hmm, maybe he's right. And then it turns out later, I did eventually stop not talking and now I can write. But, <laughs> you know, that's you're absolutely right. And he's the only person who had ever told me that in the four years of college. So, oh my goodness, we should send him a copy of the Star Herald now. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. See, we wouldn't have this managing editor if he didn't do that. But speaking about college, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us a little bit about your previous experience before we, you got here? You mm-hmm. were just kind of alluding to it a little bit mm-hmm. with the athlete. So um, I had the now? privilege of leading a very innovative sport ministry called the, the um, Institute for Sport, Spirituality, and Character Development. And it was housed at Newman University for um, 20 years. And I was there for most of it, for about 17 of their 20 years uh, in different roles. I pretty much had every position in the Institute <laughs> and the last seven there as director. And um, the, the privilege of that was that through the lens of sports, we were able to um, hopefully inspire in thousands of athletes and hundreds of coaches um, some type of engagement, a further, a deeper engagement with their faith. So I always looked at it as wherever they were on their faith journey, my hope was by the time they were done with us, um, that they moved further along. Sure. Um, Newman, uh, being a Catholic Franciscan university, uh, was, um, we had very diverse population of students um, from different faith backgrounds, different cultural and economic backgrounds, and coaches as well. So um, they weren't all Catholic. And um, the ones that were Catholic weren't all practicing Catholics. So we had Christians, we had uh, Muslims, we had uh, no faith, we had all and everywhere in between. And um, the the most amazing thing, when I look back on that time, and and this clarity came to me about a year ago, is that when I look back on the, the students that thrived, the student athletes who engaged with our, the ones that thrived were the ones that um, three basic needs were met for them. That um, essentially all of it, not just young people, but all of us have a need to belong, right? We have a need to feel like a part of a community. We have a need um, to have someone believe in us, genuinely believe in us, that need for a connection. And then um, thirdly, we just we need a belief system to make sense of the world. So we need a set of values, a set of core values to make sense of the world. So I look at it as community connection and core values. When those three needs are met, I look back and I could start naming names of the student athletes that with those three needs were met on a consistent basis. They're the ones that are thriving today. Mm. So, and, I, and I'm making the hypothesis that if we set that up in any type of environment, that will work. That the same thing that would happen. What was it again? Community, community, community connection, community. core values. I, I, 
if everybody, you, you think about, um, especially with, the, and this is the epiphany that came to me working with teams, because I had the privilege also in that role of working with um, coaches from the uh, Archdiocese of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Catholic League. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're working with a different, you know, a younger population. And again, the same different uh, background, economic backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, faith backgrounds. And when we were going through the training and we were talking about those needs of community connection and core values, we really unpacked that. And we and I said, I guarantee you, when you look at every team and, and think of all the environments that we're in, whether it's a classroom environment, an office environment, a work group environment, a friendship, a friend group, the only place that all three of those needs can be met, might be only being met, is with you. So I looked, I said, think about your teams. And I bet each one of them, and, and it was a reflective exercise. And those coaches look back, think about your teams. I bet you can identify at least one child on that team that isn't having those needs met outside of your team. Gotcha, yeah. And that's why it's the, that the role of coach, the role of, role of teacher, the role of catechist is a sacred role. The role of parent is a sacred role because we, we have the ability, we have the privilege of being in a position to create a community where every member of that community feels like they belong. We have the privilege of being that person who's going to believe in those members of the community, right? We can be that person who genuinely believes that you have value, you belong here, that no matter where you are, whether if it's a team on the right, the depth chart of, the, uh, of your bench, or whether it's the work group that you're in or the group of friends, you have value in this group. And then the important thing, and what we're fortunate enough working for a Catholic organization, so forth with, with a church and with a school, is we have a ready-made set of gospel values right there to be the belief system to help us make sense in the world, to help negotiate, understand those challenges that come to us throughout life. But if we have a set of core values that we can operate from, we can make those decisions. So we only need to them. work on the two, con- community and connection. Right, because we already we have, have one down. We've got the gospel <laughs> values right there. They're right there. Yeah, you're right. That, that's so amazing. I actually just kind of like listening to you. It looks so clear. It's kind of like crystal clear how this uh, theory really mm-hmm. works. I, I see it in, in churches where like they're really doing a good job making sure that community and people feel that they belong and that they're valued and that they have something to give mm-hmm. and that, you know, they're using their talents because they're valuable and uh, they believe in people. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of like following our Catholic tradition and kind of like it, it's it's so good the way you put it. I love that formula. I think I'm going to continue to talk like that <laughs> yeah. from now on. Isn't I think it? Well, it's also, I mean, if you put it like that, you know, community, connection, core values, mm-hmm. I think that anybody listening to this right now can reflect mm-hmm. who do I know that, you know, that's in my community that mm-hmm. I connect with and share core values mm-hmm. with already. Like, how can I lift somebody up that I know? Yep. And how can I keep myself open to be needing to be lifted up as well? So it's like, you know, I mean, we all know we're all called to be catechists in some way, yep. but we don't have to overcomplicate it. No, that that's a, a, per, a wonderful way of putting it. Because I think we do, we get we get into our heads like, I don't know, I don't know the, the, the catechism. I don't know what, you know, what what the Bible says about these things. Right. I don't know what else. And we get, focus on what are gospel values, reverence, integrity. Mm-hmm. Courage, right? Respect, yeah. service. Those, everybody can get behind those. Yeah. And that's, again, coming back to our conversation earlier about the universality of the gospel values, right? Who can't get behind integrity, right? right. Who doesn't want a work group where their coworkers are people of integrity? 
there's a gospel value. So whether you're work, if you're not, you know, you don't have to be working in a Catholic organization to be an advocate for the value of integrity. The um, the new catechism and and people and, and people who have written about it, um, this this um, notion of accompaniment is a theme that keeps coming up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I love this theory of accompaniment. This theme of it's not really a theory. It's the beauty in that walking with, not telling you what you should do. It's, it's, it's a way of showing mercy. It's a way of being of service to another person. How often when you're with someone, someone you come across, whether it's someone that you care about or someone you walk past on the street and they're in tears. Right. And all they need is somebody just to sit next to them. Just sit next to them and just, that is accompanying them on the journey. How, when we don't know what to say, right? When someone goes through something really, I don't know what to say, so you don't, we don't call. That's the worst thing to worst do. Thing. The gift of presence. The gift yeah. of presence. That presence, accompaniment, those, that is really the crux of what the work and the research that I'm doing to make sure that all of our catechists and teachers feel that they are equipped to be present, to accompany their students, their the children and their their co-workers to accompany them on the journey in whatever way the lord calls them to it could be real deep it could be just you're with me at this time and moment in time and that's it and that's okay there's nothing wrong with either one of those but just to recognize that we have a ministry of presence to um to be attentive to and to be intentional with I may have told this story on the, on on the podcast before, and if so, listeners, I'm sorry. But you know, I, I think for, uh, when we moved back from Germany for a year, I just could not go back to work. I couldn't do it, and I worked in a bakery. And I remember my first day on the that I was left alone in charge of the bakery. I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? Feeling this woman comes in, and she was so excited. And she's looking at like all the goods in the in the bin, and I was like, "Well, what can I help you pick?" And she's like, "Oh, I have to be very, you know, I, I want to make this one special." She's like, "I just found out I was cancer free for the first time oh in like five gosh. years," <laughs> and I mean, she wow. was super oh, thin. God. You know, yeah, her hair was yeah. growing back. Mm-hmm. You could tell that mm-hmm. she had been through the ringer. Mm-hmm. I bought her a pastry and we sat and talked for like half an hour. And she <laughs> told me her journey, and oh. you know what? I was honored that yep. that. You know, I was a blip on on the radar mm-hmm. of her life story, yep. but I was honored that she shared it with me. Yep. So, like I said, we don't have to overthink it. It's just no. bring, like with the gift of presence, the gift and of presence. I really like that. Yeah, really like that. So true. I love it. And, uh, you know, I think in our Catholic uh, church, we have that huge opportunity to really kind of like bring people together mm-hmm. to accompany them mm-hmm. and uh, to be with the people. I think mm-hmm. that's what Jesus was about. He yes, was kind of like always walking with the apostles mm-hmm. and yep. walking with the people and, and being with them and not just kind of like a talking voice that would tell people what to do and not do the thing. Mm-hmm. He would also do the thing and walk the walk and, and, and even, you know, do more than that and die on the, cru- on the cross for mm-hmm. us. So uh, I think the more we are like him, the more we are the church that that he wanted us to be true that's the genius that's the genius of jesus right in terms of his the servant leadership his servant leadership that he so even from a like you take the religious part out of it Mm -hmm. that's his the genius of him and then when you you add in the the catholicity piece and that the this religion that he's instituted for us that's just yeah yeah it's a gift I just uh, want to transition into kind of like uh, this conversation because I think it just kind of like goes uh, nicely 
into it. Uh, for those listeners who might be thinking, so what is uh, you know the Office of Religious Education doing with the Office of Catholic Schools? Mm-hmm. Can you explain the rationale behind uh, that change uh, in our diocese? Mm-hmm. There's now seven secretariats, and uh, so we have the Secretariat of Education, mm-hmm. and within that we have the Catholic Schools Office mm-hmm. and the uh, Religious Ed of- mm-hmm. Office. So what, why is that uh, change happening in the Diocese of Candem, and what is the rationale behind it? I, I believe the way I interpret the rationale, this is a great question, because in fact, the catechists, the PC, the, the uh, parish catechetical leaders are asking me that same question, because you know they want to make sure that their the religious ed efforts are, are being um, recognized with the respect that they certainly are due, sure. and they certainly are. And, I, and from how I understand it and the way I'm moving, operating moving forward, and I certainly know I have the support of uh, our, the superintendent of schools and the, the secretariat for Catholic education, Dr. Watson, is that we're part of the same family. Catholic educa- the business of Catholic education, for lack of a better word, is formation. It's to get us all closer to heaven, right? Mm-hmm. We, to, to deepen our relationship with Jesus. That's the, that's the, the, the ultimate goal of Catholic education. It's one family. Schools is one member of the family. Religious education is another member of family. We each have distinct roles. We each have different purposes in terms of what what our uh, roles are, but they're both equally as important, and they both are contributing to the formation of of the faithful in the diocese of Camden. So it's um, it's a both and. It's I think that there's certainly opportunities. And in fact, this morning was an excellent example of the value of religious education and Catholic schools being in the same secretariat. We were discussing, we were brainstorming uh, the Eucharistic revival and how through religious ed and the Catholic schools, how can we be more intentional um, and different ideas and programming ideas and how can we be supportive of the parishes and the schools. And the synergy and the creativity back and forth between all of us, we were equals at table. One, one wasn't more important than the other. Each brought value. An idea I brought up fed an idea that Bobby brought up, fed an idea that Mike brought up, that Marianella brought up. And it was just all bouncing off of each other. And it's because of the expertise of each of those areas mm-hmm. that this beautiful new synergy and energy came out from it. So I think it's um, I, it's a beautiful, it, it's, it makes a lot of sense when you look at other dioceses across the country. Mm-hmm. In fact, just look across the river in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, they, their secretariat is um, formation and education. So same thing, um, catechesis and uh, the schools fall under the same area. So it's not that we're doing anything different than what other dioceses across the, the world are doing. Uh, we're recognizing the benefit of harnessing the energies and the expertise of these two areas in one spot. That's amazing, Lee. Thank you for answering that question so beautifully. I think, you know, we are very excited to have uh, your office have been part of ours because, you know, we we always try to strive to provide a good Catholic identity for our schools. Mm-hmm. And I think the value of having your expertise right next to our doors mm-hmm. is amazing. And I think the, the teachers are going to continue to see that and experience that as we move forward in this model. So thank you uh, for being so welcoming and so uh, kind of like energetic about this new role and what it brings. Oh, it's an, like I've said, it's an absolute privilege. Honestly, I, I thank the good Lord for leading me to this moment and for Father Hughes for saying, hey, I see this in you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I know I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. 
So what are some of the um, new initiatives or hopes that you have coming down the uh, line, if, if, if you have any to talk about? Well, I, I, it's my, my answer to that, and it's the, the honest truth, is that they have yet, the, spe- the specifics have yet to reveal themselves to me, mm-hmm. uh, because I've been blessed with the expectation that it's going to take me at least a year to get a lay of the land. So um, I am so grateful that I have the support and the patience of a diocese that's saying, meet everyone learn what their challenges are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what's, uh, what the, where the joys are, what's getting in the way of being successful, what is being successful, learn all that first. So I'm really taking the time to do due, due diligence, essentially, just meeting everyone, getting the lay of the land and, and seeing where, um, where, what can be leveraged, where are the strengths that need to be leveraged. And if what, if there's obstacles, can I minimize them? Is there something that I can do to help to minimize them? Or how can we figure out a way to strategize a way to get around them? I always think of the book, um, uh, the last lecture, Randy Posh, I don't know if anyone's read that a few years ago. He, um, um, I'll save the whole premise, but one of the things that he said in there was walls come up in our life not to stop us from doing things, but to see how badly we want to do things. And I really, t- I thought, you know what? That ha- So maybe that wall came up because the direct that. route doesn't make sense. Maybe we need to go around. Maybe we need to dig a hole. Maybe we need to climb over. Maybe we need to go over here for a couple years first, and then the wall's going to come down and we'll be able to go over. So how badly do you want what's on the other side of the wall? Right. That's what the wall's testing us to do. So that's why I'm, I'm taking the time to learn all the what the beauty is out there and see what we can maximize and talk about you know core values and the mm-hmm. gift of the holy spirit because mm-hmm. i think when anybody uh when anybody new comes in those on the other side are like oh great somebody's coming in with changes no. uh, and and that you know what i mean like yeah. we all think of it. course i have of thought course. it when i get new yep. new employees or new bosses it's like uh oh mm-hmm. but the idea of not changing anything Mm-mm. and just to learn to listen yep which again is what you know. Even what the synod is all about, mm-hmm. right? The synod, synod, synod on synodality is mm-hmm. all about is listening. So the, I, that is a mouthful. Say that to my yeah. times real fast. Okay, synod on synodality. <laughs> See, I'm learning. <laughs> I had to like in my brain. I was like breaking that down letter by letter. Get each syllable out. Yeah. So nice job, Mary. You know? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's all about listening and the fact that you're taking a year and like you said mm-hmm. when I first started here too you know mm-hmm. the powers that be including mike walsh should take a year you have a year to to learn our diocese mm-hmm. and that's what you're being encouraged yep, to do and get, get out in the parishes and and know um the hard working yep. men and women who are are in religious education and doing wonderful things there's 65 parishes in the diocese of camden and my hope is to meet with the pcl at each and every one if they'll have me mm-hmm. um but I, I yeah it's it's an absolute <laughs> It's an absolute privilege. One of the questions, one of the last questions I ask them when I um, have my one-on-one meetings is I just, I asked the, the, the uh, parish catechal leader to dream with me. I said, dream with me. What do you see the future of religious education look like? And it's wonderful to hear what they're saying. And um, I don't want to disclose it just because I, I, I'm, I want to get a critical mass first of what everyone's saying. And, but they're all beautiful, encouraging, hope-filled ideas that I can't wait to bring to fruition along with the PCLs because I, this isn't, uh, there's, there's no solo work here. This is definitely a, a group effort. Can you share any without, you know, giving up your sources? So yeah, to speak? Well, just, I, they're all the emphasize on family, the emphasize on, on, on um, bringing them back to church that they see them in, in church, um, social, uh, 
encounters, but, but the emphasis, I love hearing about the emphasis on family. So that's, that's pretty consistent. They have different ideas of how to get there, but the overarching theme is family. They're saying that that's what they there. And there's who would know better right. than our catechists that are out there with them now. And when you talk family, are you talking all generations? Because yes. I know that we've talked about this on the podcast. I'm sure you're hearing this in schools mm-hmm. is a lot of what's coming out of the, um, the synod. We're just going to call it the synod. Uh, <laughs> the responses of the synod are how um, our parishioners are fearful of the future of the church mm-hmm. in the fact that generations are aren't are falling off yeah you know we're missing a good young adult or that yep. you know certain age groups that aren't just coming back is that something that definitely you think will be and, and there's a f- and there's definite fear there's definite a worry for that and the concern for the church and um a few i guess it's a, in my first month that i was here bill and i had a um um a zoom call with uh some folks that are um the, the frontline people for the ECHO ministry. ECHO is a uh, program out of the University of Notre Dame where graduate students in their theology uh, essentially intern uh, at different dioceses for a couple of years. And we have a cohort with us now. And uh, Monsignor McGrath is uh, one of the most wonderful folks on the face of this earth. And he's been very instrumental in mentoring these young people. And uh, he was sharing a story of one of his students that was frustrated that a program that they were had gotten off the ground. You know, it was a beautiful program, well planned, well um, executed, but not a lot of people participated. And he and the the student felt let down because and he felt like he was letting the parish down because Mm -hmm. um, they just didn't have a lot of people. And Monsignor's response was, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus didn't say count my sheep. Oh, wow. Isn't that a <laughs> feed my sheep? Don't count my sheep. So I think this this notion of not getting hung up on numbers, but but let's focus on the quality. Who's there? Let's give them something meaningful, something inspirational, something true to our faith, because from there it will grow. So we just I think I think patience is going to be important in terms of the future of the church. We might have to get smaller to get stronger. Yeah. We might have to, that may happen. And um, I don't think we should close our eyes to that or fight that. But if if in getting smaller means we can be more intentional and more um, and more stronger in what we're giving to those folks that are present, from there it will grow. The numbers will come. We just have to be patient. What great life advice, to be honest with you in general. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Like, you, you know, you have to get smaller to grow. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we try to do so much in life and and then we're, we're basically hitting a wall, but we know we have to keep going. So we just keep hitting the wall right. instead of maybe taking just a few steps back to regroup. Mm-hmm. And so what? You're not doing as much as, as you would think, but you're doing it better. All right. So it's feed. Feed my sheep. Don't, don't count my count sheep. My don't sheep. Feed my, my sheep. sheep. Worry about okay. what you're feeding them. I like that. I, I, listeners, obviously, you can't see us, but Mary and Ella looked at each other when, when Lee said <laughs> that. And that's and Monsignor like McGrath. I don't want to. I don't want to take that as mine. Monsignor McGrath. <laughs> Monsignor okay. McGrath. Please don't be mad at me, Monsignor. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to interview him. Yeah, maybe he's oh, I think he's got some stories. Is that? Oh my goodness. So now we're kind of like getting to the uh, end of the podcast here. Mm-hmm. We always try to get like some personal connection with our, our guests right so tell us something that you know people may not know 
about oh Lee, the professional. Lee, the prof- Lee the professional. Lee the professional. Lee the professional. Or the personal. Yeah. Oh my gosh, uh, this is the toughest question you've asked me. I didn't, well, I have to, how about I have two beautiful boys that are I call them boys, but they're twenty and twenty three years old. Um, AJ and Stephen, whom I love dearly, and my husband David. Um, like I said, we've been uh, my, when my husband and I got married. He's uh, from Cherry Hill area. And I'm from Delaware County. I'm from uh, Media. I grew up, was born in Lansdowne, grew up in Media. Delco. So Dave's like, I can't take the Delco out of, you know, you can take the girl out of Delco, but not the Delco out of the girl. So all my Delco people know what that means. Um, but uh, when we were, we were engaged and we were trying to figure out where to live, and um, we, we, we literally looked at a map. And we said, okay, David's family's in Cherry Hill. My family's in Media. What's the midway point? And that's how we ended up in Gloucester County in Mantua. And it was we had no ties there. We had no, we just we wanted a you know a suburban area that was close to highways that we can get to each family within a half hour or less. And that's how we ended up in. <laughs> Talk uh, about in compromise, people. Like that's how the marriage married, started, and we're twenty five years strong. So <laughs> to chime in on a on an old argument here, new or old argument on the podcast. When you looked at the map, did you say that's South Jersey, or Central Jersey, or North Jersey? South Jersey, and I'm very, very, very clear to say <laughs> from South Jersey. Okay, there <laughs> There's a big difference. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're so happy to have you on the podcast. Is there anything that you know we didn't get to that you wanted to uh, address in the last minute or so we have? Oh my goodness! No, just that I love you two ladies. I think it, that's. Oh. I think one of the privileges of being a part of the the uh, diocese of Camden is the wonderful women that work here. Um, so when when people say that the Catholic Church is dominated by men, they have not come to the diocese of Camden because there are many wonderful women that are uh, in very important positions here. It's a privilege to be with you. Aww. Oh, that was you. a way, nice way to end this. Thank you very much. Yes. We are really honored uh, for your presence and uh, your ministry here in the Diocese of Candem. And thank you very much for agreeing to do this podcast. You're always welcome. Oh, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Mike Walsh would say the same thing. And uh, we missed you, Mike, but we had a great conversation. No, we really didn't miss Mike. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So um, I guess you'll be out in parishes. So we yes. everybody can keep on looking for Lee as she's yep. making her tours, right? Yes, yes, they will continue. I have two this week. Get excited yeah. and people remember that Catholic schools are still enrolling and so if you're still undecided, if you uh, want to make sure that your kids get that sense of community, connection and core values, mm-hmm. Catholic schools are also, you know, the way to go. So, with that, thank you so much for listening and, uh, you know, have come a, back. Yeah, have a happy and safe uh, July 4th week. And um, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Take care. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.